Good morning and welcome to Good News. I was late last time coming up, so I was early this time for you guys. Um, my name is Anne-Marie Hegel and I have been attending Good News for about two years now. Um, became a member in May of this year alongside my husband, Billy, and our three children, Magnolia, Stella, and Jedediah. Um, we, I am up here today to welcome new and visitors, and we are so grateful to have you here today. Uh, we do have a Connect card on the seat backs in front of you if you want to fill out any information you'd like to share with us. And also, if you would like to have lunch with a pastor in here at the heart of our church. Um, also, pertaining to that last video, tomorrow is our last day for Operation Christmas Child drop-offs um, at 3 p.m. So if you can get to the gym with your boxes by 3 p.m., you are good to go. Um, and next we have our parents' night out coming up, which is going to be um, December 10th from 4.30 to 7.30 p.m. You have three hours kid-free taken care of in the gym um, here at Wildwood. There will be pizza and snacks provided. Um, we also think this would be an amazing opportunity for you to be able to invite neighbors, friends, even relatives that have kids that do not have a church home um, that you can you know, witness to and also show how great our childcare is and how fun it is to be a part of this church. Um, we also ask if anyone is interested in volunteering for childcare to write that on your Connect card. Um, or if you would like to um, help with snacks or anything like that, just write on your Connect card and drop it in the black box in the back. And I think that's all I have for you today. I'm going to welcome Smiley up and a couple new members coming to join the church today. Happy Thanksgiving. We have Noah Brzezinski who came to our uh, Discover Good News yesterday and coming to make Good News his church home. It was really interesting, like when COVID started, you were like about here, yes, and then you came back and you were like, like here. So uh, it's been great to watch Noah grow up, and uh, he's professed faith in Christ and comes to make Good News his church home. So let me, Steve, I left it right there on the seat. Would you help me out? There we go. Thank you. You want to stand with him? Thank you. So, Noah, let me ask you these questions. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving His wrath and hopeless without His mercy? Yes, sir. And do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you trust Him alone for salvation as He's offered in the gospel? Yes, sir. And do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will seek to live as a follower of Christ should? And do you promise to support the church and its worship and work to the best of your ability? Yes, sir. And do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to promote its purity and peace? Yes, sir. So thankful that you know Jesus, that you want to make good news your church home. Let me pray for you. Lord, thanks so much for Noah. Lord, thank you that he knows you. Pray that his roots would grow deep in you here and he would continue to grow in you and bear much fruit. Lord, help us to welcome him this day. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to welcome no one now. You make sure you make him feel welcome after the service. Thank you. Oh. Now, some of you are new, and we really like to win people to Christ, and so we rejoice this week at seeing two people who put their faith in Christ, and we rejoice with that. And I want you to know, notice this year, and this, of all the people that the people have shared the gospel with, 
people with and seeing people come to faith in Christ. And I want to thank all of you who invest financially here for, for blessing us that we could see so many people one to faith in Christ. And at the same time, we're really praying that we would double the number of people who lead someone to faith in Christ this year. And we're so excited that would be 92 and we're at 86. And I really invite you to join with us as we pray uh, for the last six weeks of this year that at least six more people would have a chance to lead someone to faith in Christ. And you might even say, Lord, why not use me? So before we open His Word together today, let's spend some time in prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, good morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hallowed be your name. May we lift up your name in our worship today and in our work and play throughout the week. Your kingdom come. King Jesus, may we follow you. May we share the gospel of the kingdom with others this week. King Jesus, we look forward to that day when you come back and your kingdom is here in all of its fullness. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us. Give us a, the desire and the, and the ability to follow Jesus, and may we enjoy you, following you so much that others would join us, and throughout our community and world, that people would delight in doing your will on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You know our financial needs as individuals and families and a church, Lord, meet our needs, and all our physical needs. Lord, our relational needs, we pray that you would forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so we pause and we confess our sins to you. And Lord, as you forgive us much, help us to forgive those that have wronged us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, deliver us from the flesh and from the world and from the devil. As we open your word together today, teach us. And though we pray for our nation that we have forgotten you, and we pray for a revival in your church. Lord, may it start this morning. Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you, that we might take our hope and joy out to others? For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I have many heroes, but only one Savior. Jesus is my Savior, and I'm so thankful that Jesus saves us. But I have many heroes, and heroes inspire us. They inspire us. And one of my heroes is the Apostle Paul. And he has inspired me to be a hope dealer. Thus, my sweet shirt. And I'm praying for you, too, that, that, Jesus, that Paul would inspire you to be a hope dealer. We've spent three weeks learning how to be a hope dealer. We looked at cultivate hope when you're alone, and we looked at cultivate hope when you're attacked. And today we're going to look at cultivate hope, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Matter of fact, that's the point of today's message, is that the best is yet to come. To practice that, would you say that with me? The best is yet to come. Isn't it great to be a Christian? Because if you're a Christian, you get to do life in eternity believing that the best is yet to come. And so we've been learning that we're in the hope business, right? That we actually peddle hopium, right? 
And we've learned that what is our hope and that Jesus is our only hope in life and death. That's why we gather together because sometimes we put our hope in other things, but we gather to remember that Jesus is our hope, our only hope in life and death. And we've been learning what hopium is, is the joyful expectancy that the best is yet to come. Uh, Listen, uh, it's important before we jump into the passage to remember where Paul is as he writes this. He's in prison. He's about to be beheaded. And he's writing this letter. Why he's writing it to Timothy? Because Paul loves the gospel. And he realizes he's about to die. And he wants Timothy and us to carry on the work of the gospel, to keep the gospel spreading. So in the four chapters of this book, what we've been learning is that guard the gospel. (laughs) Chapter 1, the gospel is treasure. Guard it. Guard it against those who would take away from it. Guard it against those who would add to it. Guard it. And then we learn in chapter 2, chapter 2, to suffer for the gospel. There are things in life worth suffering for. The gospel is so precious, it's worth suffering for. And then we learn in chapter 3 to continue in the gospel, keep going with the gospel. And then chapter 4, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. And Paul was saying to Timothy, you can do it. You can do it. And he's saying to us, you can do it because you've been instructed and you've received the Holy Spirit. Um, Listen. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, then Jesus enables us to live well and to die well. And it's so important we do that. And that's why I love Sundays so much more than I love Saturdays. Because in the fall, every Saturday, I fix my hope on the gators. (laughs) But I don't have that hope that it's going to end well. And they find new ways every Saturday to lose. And I'm thinking, how are they going to lose this time? Oh, but I like Sunday. Because on Sunday, I fixed my hope on Jesus. And He never disappoints. And I get to do all my life knowing that the best is yet to come. And you know how I know that? Because I've read the book. I've read the book and I know how the story ends. The reason I know that is because one day a dead man got up and walked out of the tomb and said, we could too. Oh man, I'm so thankful to be a Christian. I'm so thankful to know every day of my life that I can look ahead to the future and be confident that the best is yet to come. So, um, this morning, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, bring one with you. And uh, we're going to look at the last words of the Apostle Paul. The last words. And last words are really important. You you ever think about what would my last words be? We know what Jesus' last words, Jesus' last words were the Great Commission, right? He said, go and make disciples of all the nations. But here are the last words of my hero, the Apostle Paul. 2 Timothy 4 Verse 19, greet Prisca and Aquila. So as he closes his letter, he he says, he's sending this letter to Timothy, a pastor in Ephesus, where Priscilla, um, Luke calls her Priscilla, Paul shortens that to Prisca, greet Priscilla and Aquila because they were in Ephesus. Oh, please say hello to Priscilla and Aquila. They are dear friends of mine. They are fellow workers of mine. We first meet Priscilla and Aquila in Acts 18. In Acts 18, during Paul's second missionary journey, 
We read in verse 1, After these things, he, Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. So the first thing we notice is Priscilla and Aquila are Jews. Uh, They've come from Italy because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So what was happening was there was a great persecution of Jews. Isn't it amazing how things don't change, isn't it? So they had to flee because of anti-Semitism, and don't we see that growing in our own country and around the world? So they had to flee for their lives. And when they came to Corinth, they met Paul, and Paul won them to faith in Christ, and then he began to disciple them. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade, they were tent makers. So Paul wins Priscilla and Aquila to faith in Christ, and he begins to disciple them, and they make tents together. Wouldn't you love to have one of Paul's tents? Wouldn't it be cool you could say, hey, look at this tent. Paul made it for me. That would have been so cool. And, and notice, if you want to know what a hope dealer is, here it is. I love this. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. What do hope dealers do? They reason with people. They share the gospel, the bad news and the good news and invite people to respond. But they don't just put it out there. They beg people. Be reconciled to God. He was not only reasoning but seeking to persuade them. So we read again about Aquila and Priscilla a little later in the same chapter. In verse 18, Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria, and with him were Priscilla and Aquila. So they made tents together, now they're going together, and Paul is discipling them, training them so that they can make disciples who make disciples like he can. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, But taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you if God wills, he set sail for Ephesus. So he had trained Aquila and Priscilla to make disciples, so he left them there to continue the work while he went on. Later in the same chapter, we meet them one more time, and this is during Paul's third missionary journey. In verse 24, now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the Scriptures. When Paul wrote 2 Timothy, uh, Timothy was the pastor in Ephesus. So that's where this is happening. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Uh, So he rightly believed to a point, but he didn't know about Pentecost and how the Holy Spirit had been poured out, And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Because Priscilla and Aquila had been disciple, they could disciple. And I think that there's a really good lesson here. If you ever need to correct someone, it's a good idea not to do it in front of a crowd, right? What they do, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. 
For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So he was better equipped to become a more effective disciple-maker because Aquila and, and Priscilla, who had been trained, helped to disciple him. And you know the Scriptures he would have had? They would have been, what? The Older Testament. So that what Apollos could do is preach Christ from every passage in the Older Testament. So, back to our passage today, Paul says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila. They are very dear brothers of mine and sisters. They are fellow workers. And then next, notice in verse 19, in the household of Onesiphorus. Uh, speak up to Onesiphorus and his whole household. Uh, because Onesiphorus was also a dear brother to Paul. Um, I mean, have you ever had someone take great risk to minister to you? They, they greatly inconvenience them to take care of you? That's why Onesiphorus was so special to Paul. Remember back during the summer we were in chapter 1 of this book? And in chapter 1, verse 15, you were aware of the fact that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among whom were Phygelus and Hermogenes, uh, when persecution broke out in Asia, many people abandoned Paul, um, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. Onesiphorus loved Paul so much that he was willing to risk his life to minister to him. I mean, if you were in prison... The prison didn't feed you. You needed friends or family to bring you food and different things. And Onesiphorus risked his life to minister to Paul because Paul was public enemy number one, and he's in prison. And Onesiphorus comes and he says, you know where Paul is? You know, they could have put him to death, but he risked his life to minister to Paul, and Paul never forgot that. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. Wow. Listen, say hi to Onesiphorus and his family. Because he refreshed me when I was in Ephesus. And when I was in Rome, he risked his life to come and minister to me. Paul's uh, last words are filled with people because people were special to Paul. And first he gives greetings. Greet Priscilla, Aquila, and Onesiphorus. And then he, now he's going to inform Timothy about uh, mutual friends they have and fellow workers. Erastus remained at Corinth. Erastus. What were Karen and I thinking when we named our four boys? <laughs> Why didn't we name one of them Erastus? That would have been a good name, huh? But Trophimus... I left sick at Miletus. Now notice that, that Paul left Trophimus sick. There are churches today that say that if you have faith, you'll never be sick. And isn't it interesting that one of the people that, that Paul was very dear to Paul, he left sick. Uh, he, he didn't heal him. And so I think it's important for you to understand that there's only one thing that being a Christian makes us immune to. The only thing that Christians are immune to is what? Hell. The only thing that Christians are immune to is hell. The Christians are not immune to getting sick. Christians get sick. Christians are not immune to death. The only thing that Jesus makes us immune to is hell so that uh, Trophimus was left sick. 
And then he says, meet every effort to come to me before winter. Oh, please come. I would love to see you one more time. And the reason he says before winter is because Timothy is in Ephesus, which would be modern-day Turkey. Paul is in Rome. And the best way to get there would be by ship. But during the winter, say from December to March, the Mediterranean was too treacherous to to cross. And so he says, please come. And earlier he said, when you come, bring a cloak. Um, Do we ever stop and think how much it means to others when we go and we encourage them? And even when we share with a brother or sister, listen, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Eubulus greets you, also Putin's and Linus. Huh. Who would have known that? That Linus was right there in the Bible, right? And Claudia and all the brethren. Um, Now, a lot of you, when I'm finished speaking, you get up and leave. Listen, don't leave before the end of the service because the best part of the service is the benediction. The best part of the service is the benediction where I'm representing Christ, pronounce a blessing on you. In the end of all Paul's letters, he gives them a blessing. He blesses them. This is a benediction. He says, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Is there anything more encouraging, anything that fills us more with hope than the blessing? Listen, the Lord is with you. He's in you. He's for you. And grace, grace be with you. We begin the Christian life by grace. We make progress by grace. We get home by grace. And the grace that we receive and the grace we give is that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. So we've walked through the passage, and now I've got a question for you. Timothy is in Ephesus where there is mild persecution, and Paul is in Rome, which is the epicenter for persecution, And what is Paul asking Timothy to do? To come see him. So you're in Ephesus, mild persecution. Paul's calling you to come to Rome where people are being killed. What would move you to go? What would move you to leave the relative safety of Ephesus and go to Rome? You know what would? That you were convinced the Lord was with you. You know what would move you is that you had good news that you could share to a discouraged brother, that you could go, and in Paul's time of need, you could deliver good news that the best is yet to come. So we say that a lot at good news, the best is yet to come. And the reason Paul could say that, or Timothy could say that to Paul, is because Paul believed in Jesus. Listen, the best is not yet to come for everyone. The best is yet to come for those who believe in Jesus. Do you? Well, let me show you a verse in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. Oh, I love that verse. I mean, we look at the world sometimes and think it's so broken, and God loves the world. But listen, He doesn't just love the world. What does it say? He so loved the world. Now, how do, how do we know God loves us? How do we know? Because of what he did for God so loved the world that he gave. What? His only begotten son. Why? That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The reason Jesus came 
is because we have a problem. It's called sin, and sin and death are connected. That's the bad news of the gospel. We have a fatal disease, sin, because the penalty for sin is death. And what is sin? It's a crime against God. And the Bible says we're all guilty and we're all hopeless apart from Jesus. Did you know that? Do you know what a sin is? It's a crime against God. It could be something that we do or say or think. I mean, what we do, that when we disobey our parents, that's a crime against God. Have you ever done that? If we engage in sex outside of marriage, that's a crime against God. If we steal something, it's a crime against God. And I have stolen so many things in my life. Have you? It's not just what we do, it's what we say. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever called someone a fool? You know what Jesus said about that? That if we call someone a fool, that would make us guilty enough to go to hell. Have you ever gossiped in your whole life? We commit crimes against God through what we do, through what we say, and what we think. Jealousy, envy, anger, racism. We can sin and commit a crime against God. And listen, we've all sinned against God. And what makes sin so bad, it's a crime against God. And God says what we deserve for what we've done is hell. So what do we do? What do we? we can't do anything because we're hell-bound sinners, but here's the good news. God loves us, and, and He gave His Son to, to save us from sin and death, that God the Son put on flesh and came to earth. And after living a perfect life, He took our sins upon Himself on the cross, and He died in our place once and for all. He died as our substitute to atone for our sins. And as Jesus died on the cross, He cried out, It is finished, you're paid in full. And then he was buried, but he didn't stay dead. The third day he rose from the grave. Listen, sin and death are connected. And when Jesus had paid the full penalty for sin, he walked out of the grave proving he had conquered sin and death. And he offers to us eternal life. And eternal life is the forgiveness of our sins. It's the chance to do life and eternity with Jesus. And how do we get the greatest gift ever given? Did you hear what it said? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Notice what He says, that if we don't believe in Him, we're going to perish. But if we believe in Him, we can be forgiven and live forever. So it's really important to understand what it means to believe. And at Good News, we believe that believing in Jesus is as simple as A, B, C, where we admit and believe and commit. And if you've never done that, won't you? <laughs> I'll never forget when I understood my sin and that Christ had, had died and risen for me and He was offering me eternal life. I would say, who wouldn't want to live forever? And so I admitted that I had sent Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And if you've never done that, won't you do that now? Or, or I'll assist you when we close in prayer. And when I saw Jesus died on the cross for my sins, I said, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose, won't you? When I understood He offered me eternal life, I committed to Him. I transferred my trust for myself to Jesus and to Jesus. I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. And He did, won't you? Oh, I want you to be the Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, won't you do that? And listen, <clears throat> if you've done that, I want you to now, you can look forward now and know the best is yet to come. Um, Listen, if you've not received that gift, I want you to understand something. I hope you, 
enjoy life now because this is the best it will ever be. But listen, if you're a Christian and you're going through really tough times, I want you to know that this is the worst you'll ever experience. And you can look ahead to the future and see that the best is yet to come. I want you to understand this verse. He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life doesn't begin when we die. Eternal life begins the moment we believe. The moment we believe, we are given eternal life, and most of us will experience that eternal life in three states. Good, better, and best. Uh, will you say that with me? Good, better, and best. Now smile. If you're a Christian, the reason we're hope dealers is when we look ahead, what we see is good and then better and best. How many people do you talk to that are like that? Oh, well, what do you mean? Eternal life is good now. You know why? Because we are forgiven. It means as Christians, we can go to bed at night forgiven, right? Oh, one of my favorite verses in Psalm 103. Uh, will you read this verse with me? Let's read it together. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Aren't you glad? Listen, he's taken our sins and thrown them away. And you know, God's geography is good. Did you know that? God's geography is so good. Think with me for a moment. He doesn't say as far as the north is from the south, does he? Because if you go north and you keep going, what eventually happens? You start doing what? Going south, because eventually north meets south. But east never meets west. When you go east, you'll never hit west. You'll just keep going. And what that verse says is when we believe in Jesus, he'll never remind us of our sins again. We're forgiven. Isn't that great? That's why eternal life is good now. You know why it's good now? Because we have a friend. Don't we all want a friend? And when Jesus moves in, he says, what, I'll never desert you. I'll never leave you. Isn't it good to have a friend? Do you know what? He has a purpose big enough to give our lives to. He says, what? Follow me and I'll make you fishers. I meant your life can make an eternal difference in the lives of others. So eternal life is good now because we're doing life with Jesus. We have forgiveness and a friend and a purpose. And you know what happens when, when we die? It gets better. It gets better. What do you mean? The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord, right? Oh, let me illustrate that for you. Remember when Jesus died, there were three crosses, right? Remember there were three crosses, there were two thieves who were killed with Jesus, and they're both hurling abuses at him, they're mocking him, but one of them comes to his senses, right? I told you about the ABCs, admit, believe, commit. That's exactly what the one thief did. The one thief admitted, didn't he? He said what? We're getting what we deserve. Didn't he admit? And then he believed, he said about Jesus, what? But this man, what? Has done nothing wrong. And then he committed, right? He said, what? Remember me. How do we get into, he didn't say, Jesus, I've lived a really good life. I mean, he's dying on a cross as a thief, but he said, Jesus, I'm trusting you. Remember me. Um, and remember what Jesus said was so good. He said, what? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. The Lord unlocked that three different times in my life. The first thing that just filled me with joy was today. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord today. It gets better when we die. It's that day. 
Um, second step, not only today, but where do we go? To paradise. Are we in paradise? You guys awake, are we in paradise? No, but the reason it's better is we go from here to paradise. Oh, and then one day the Lord opened the greatest part of that. You know what it is, right? Today you'll be with me. The one we love, the one we walk by faith, we will walk by sight. Oh, you see, eternal life is good now, but it's better when we die because we get to be with Jesus in paradise. But I want you to know that's better, but it's not the best. The best is yet to come. You see, one day soon, Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, all the people who have ever lived are going to be raised bodily from the grave. And then there's going to be a judgment day. And for those who are unprepared, they're going to be punished forever. But those who believe heaven, the party's going to come to earth. Don't you love the earth? I love the earth. Don't you love a party? One day, the party is where God is. Heaven is where God is. And one day, heaven's going to come to earth. And we're going to spend all of eternity with the person that we want to be with and the place that we long for, a perfect earth. We do not spend near enough time thinking about, meditating on, rejoicing over what is to come. People used to say that people are so heavenly-minded that they're of no earthly good. But I believe today Christians are so earthly-minded that they're of no heavenly good. And I believe the people who spend the most time meditating on how the best is yet to come are those who make the biggest difference in this life. So listen to what Jesus has in store for us. Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea, no longer any evil. And I saw the, whole city, the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Our hearts long for a person, and we'll get to do life with God forever. The person. But listen, our hearts long for a place because there was a time where we had the person and the place. In the beginning, there was paradise on earth and God walked with man in paradise on earth and it will be like that again and we'll be there, right? Oh, listen to what it's going to be like. <clears throat> and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Don't you long for that day? One day, no more tears. No more racism, no more domestic violence, no more rape, no more war, no more cancer. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye and there will no longer be any death. Oh, don't you long for that day? I have done so many funerals and seen so many tears and one day there will be no more funeral. There will be no more death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. It's just like having a nightmare. You wake up and you realize it wasn't true. And one day soon we'll wake up and everything sad and broken about life will be untrue and everything beautiful and wonderful and amazing will be there. And we'll get to work and worship and eat and play sports and it's going to be amazing because I am making all things new. 
And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. Uh, that's why we need to continually preach the gospel to ourselves and to each other when we're discouraged. Remember, listen, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. So back to Timothy. Back to Timothy. What would move Timothy? What would make Timothy to, to leave a place of light, persecution, Ephesus, and go into the epicenter of, of uh, persecution? What would move him is to know the Lord was with him. What would move him is he knew he had good news to share with Paul. Paul, it's okay, it's okay, because when you die, the best is yet to come. Because sometimes, as Christians, we give hope right? We give, but there are times where we need brothers and sisters, what, to give hope to us, don't we? Oh, for so much of Paul's life, he had given hope to others, hadn't he? Uh, I love in Romans 1, verse 14, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. If you're a Christian, you've been entrusted with a very powerful pill, it's the gospel. And what it is, it's the cure for sin and death. And when you live in the land of the dying and you have the gospel, the cure for sin and death, we have an obligation to share it with as many people as we can. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Because everywhere Paul looked, there were people who were dying. They needed the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Man, when you have the gospel and you see dying people, you want to go and share. When you're convinced the Lord is with you, when you understand the gospel, you want to share. I'll never forget Bruce. Bruce was a member of our church in Boca. And Bruce grew up in Boca Raton, but he had moved to Arizona. In Arizona, uh, he heard about a friend of his in Boca Raton who was dying. And he loved his friend so much that he got on a plane and flew from Arizona to Fort Lauderdale. Got out of a plane, rented a car, drove from Fort Lauderdale to Boca, went to Boca Hospital, took the elevator up to the floor. His room, his friend was on that he loved. And with tears, he said, smiling, I couldn't go in. I couldn't go in. What could I say to someone who's dying? And you know, he said, I would give everything I had for the opportunity to do it again as a Christian. Because knowing that Jesus is with me, I could have gone in the room. Because I know the gospel, I could offer him hope. I could say, listen, if you believe in Jesus, you could live forever. Oh, man. Isn't it great to know Jesus? Isn't it great to have the gospel that we can give to hopeless people? I have been in so many hospital rooms where people are dying. What moved me in? What moved me in was to know the Lord was with me. What moved me in was to have the gospel that I had, the cure for death, to share. Oh, not just winning lost people, but I've been in the hospital room with so many Christians. 
at that time when they're about to die and to be able to encourage them. So many Christians have asked me, so is it okay to die? Is it okay? Yes. Yes, the best is yet to come. Oh, I have done so many funerals, so many funerals to offer hopeless people hope. Listen, take the gospel and you can live forever. To offer hope to Christians at their time of greatest need. Listen, don't worry. When people die in Christ, they go from good to better to best. Man, I am so thankful to be a Christian. I am so thankful to be a hope dealer. Aren't you? So, we learned that the best is yet to come, that what we can look forward to is good and better and best. And so here's the action step for the week, uh, the action step. I want you to cultivate hope that the best is yet to come, to cultivate hope that the best is yet to come. And here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd, I'd love you just to spend some time in John 3:16. Some of us have lost the wonder of that verse. Um, how do we lose the wonder? Lose the wonder? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. There is a cure for sin and death. It's the gospel, but have eternal life. Come on, you, you're watching TV, now there's a commercial. If it's not a pet commercial, it's a what? It's a drug commercial, right? And in a very sweet voice, they'll say something like, this might help your acne. And then real rapidly with real sweet music, it goes on for what, like five minutes telling you all the things that could happen. Your ears might fall off. Your eyes might fall out. You might die. Don't they tell you all the harmful side effects? And then they say, by the way, it's really expensive. What if there was a gospel that was the cure for sin and death? Wouldn't you want to take it? What if there were no side effects, no negative? Matter of fact, if you would take the pill, it would help you to live well and die well. What if I told you it was free? That is the gospel. So what I want you to do to cultivate hope is I want you to take a gospel every day and just stay there for a while and say, Jesus, thank you that you are the cure for sin that you are the cure for the guilt of our sin. Do you know we're guilty before God? And the moment we believe in Jesus, we are forgiven of all of our sins. And that's the great biblical doctrine of justification. Justification means the moment we believe, all of our sins are placed on Jesus and we're forgiven, and He gives us His righteousness. Oh, Jesus, thank you. You're the cure for the guilt of my sin, that I'm just with God. He took my sin and gave me His righteousness. Be filled anew with the wonder of that. Stay there. Oh, but wait. There's so much more. Sin's not just guilt. Sin's a power. The Bible says when we believe in Jesus, we're held captive by sin. But when we believe in Jesus, He's the cure not only for the guilt of our sin, but for the power of sin. 
That's what sanctification is, that Jesus has broken the power of sin in our life. He's given us the Holy Spirit's supernatural desire to give us the desire and power to follow Jesus so we can be freed from all those sins that we were helpless to overcome before. We can change. (laughs) Oh, the Holy Spirit says, Jesus is your treasure Follow him, follow him. And when Jesus is our treasure, following him will be our pleasure. Oh, Jesus, thank you that you're the cure for our sin, for the guilt of sin, yes, and from the power of sin. But wait, there's even more. Do you ever, you ever get tired of sinning? You ever say, Lord, I am so sorry. I'm here again confessing. Don't you long to be set free from the very presence of sin? You know, Jesus is the cure even for the presence of sin. One day soon, we will see Jesus. And you know what? We'll be made like him and we'll be able to sin no more. Don't you look forward to that day? Oh, I just want you to take a gospel and say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you're the cure for sin. You're the cure for the guilt. I'm justified. You're the cure for the power. I can experience sanctification. That you're the cure for the presence. One day glorification will happen. I'll be made like you. Oh. But listen, there's more. Jesus is not only the cure for sin. He's the cure for death. The gospel is the cure for death that Jesus loves us so much, He sends someone to share the gospel, and He sends the Holy Spirit so that we can be cured from spiritual death. Spiritual, all of our lives, we had been separated from God, but He raises us from the dead, and we get to do life with Jesus, that Jesus is the cure for spiritual death. We've moved from death to life. But wait, there's more. Jesus is the cure for eternal death. Eternal death, that's what hell is. Hell is the separation from God and from all good things forever. That's what the Bible tells us to fear. Not physical death, but the second death. Hmm. The moment we believe, we move out of life from death so that we have confidence that when we die, we're going to be with Jesus. I'm sure you've heard the little saying before, right? That if you're born once, you're going to die what? Say it confidently what? Twice. See, if you're only born physically, you're going to die twice. You're going to die physically and then far more worse, you're going to die eternally. But the good news is what? If you're born twice, you're going to do what? Die once. Jesus is the cure. He's the cure for spiritual death. He raises us from death. He's the cure for eternal death. And one day he's coming back and he's the cure for physical death. One day we'll live on a new earth and there'll be no more death. Oh man, isn't that what keeps us going when life is hard, isn't it? So listen, each day get up and take a gospel. And then as, as you go out and we live in the land of the dying, right? We live in the land of the dying. As you go out, offer a gospel to others. Who do you know? Who'd love to know that if they believed in Jesus, they could be forgiven the guilt of their sins? Who do you know? Who do you know who thinks they're too bad to ever go to heaven? Wouldn't they love to know you can't be too bad, you can only be too good, right? Oh, who do you know who's held captive in sin? Hmm? Who do you know who's stuck in pornography? 
or, or drugs or alcohol. Who do you know? Wouldn't they love to know that Jesus frees us not only from the guilt of our sin, but he breaks the power of sin in our life and he sets captives free? Don't you want to share that with them? Oh, who do you know who's grown weary in the fight? Who do you, wouldn't they love to know one day the struggle with sin will be over? Listen, one day the very presence of sin will be removed from us. Won't you share that with them? Oh, who do you know who'd love to know there's a cure for death, huh? Won't you share with them? Won't you share that Jesus is the cure for spiritual death? You can do life with Jesus. Won't you share with them that Jesus is the cure for eternal death? You can do eternity with him. Won't you share with them that Jesus is the cure for physical death? One day, there will be no more death for those who believe in him. I don't know about you, but Paul inspires me. I see so many hopeless people around me, don't you? And, Jesus, and Paul inspires me and hopefully inspires us to be, to be hope dealers. So this week, cultivate hope that the best is yet to come. Take a gospel daily and then offer one to someone else because there is a verse and it's, it's the most beautiful, amazing, wonderful thing I've ever heard. Because you know what? We're all going to die, right? And there is a pill you can take for God. So loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but live forever. Shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, you are the cure for our biggest enemies. You're the cure for sin. You are the cure for death. Listen, if for the first time today you've understood the gospel and you'd like to be cured from sin and death, Jesus is here. Won't you tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. If you've done that for the first time, way to go. Won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Jesus, I pray for all of us who've received you that today we would have been filled with hope, filled with hopium as, as we look to the future with you and realize that that eternal life is going to be good now and better when we die and best forever. Lord, I pray you would inspire all of us this week to be hope dealers, that we would get up and take a gospel every day and we would be filled with wonder and worship and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for freeing us from the guilt of our sin. We're justified. Thank you for freeing us from the power of sin that we're being sanctified. Thank you that one day the very presence will remove and we will be glorified forever. Thank you. And Lord, thank you for delivering us, curing us from spiritual death. And thank you for curing us from eternal death. And thank you that one day no more physical death. And oh Lord, as we go out and see so many hopeless people, Lord, help us to offer the gospel to others. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.